Today we sit down with Dr. Arig Elsheba, an Associate Vice President of Equity and Inclusion at McMaster University, as well as an Adjunct Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology. In this podcast, Dr. Elsheba discusses her work on equity and inclusion at McMaster and explores the many barriers that racialized individuals face at both the individual and systematic level. We also get some insight on how these barriers can be improved and what students can do to recognize their personal sense of agency, power, and privilege to contribute in advancing equity and inclusion within their own circle of influence. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome, Dr. El Sheba, to our podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we'd like to start off with asking you to introduce yourselves to our listeners, as well as to share a little bit about what motivated you to partake in in your equity and inclusion work. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Uh, so my name is Arig Al-Sheba, and I'm the Associate Vice President for Equity and Inclusion at McMaster University. I'm also um, uh, appointed as, a, as an adjunct faculty member in the Department of Sociology. Uh, and I've been uh, at McMaster for uh, just over two years. I started in, in April of, of 2018. Um, so I can tell you, um, I, I grew up um, as a first-generation immigrant to Canada. And when I immigrated with my family, I was raised in an Arab-Muslim household. So I have lived experiences um, with uh, various issues of inequity and exclusion personally, and then later through my studies and, and, and professional work. Um, and when I started to, to consider issues of, of social power and inequity a little bit more, more deeply, and, and that happened you know, in my later years in my undergraduate, but, but a lot more after I graduated from my uh, first degree, um, uh, as I started to work in the nonprofit se sector, um, I started to think a lot about my own agency um, or personal power, what, what agency I had to speak up against the various inequities I was facing, and, and then how I wanted to contribute to social justice more broadly. And I had the opportunity to work with and for uh, a diversity of marginalized populations in the nonprofit sector in, in, in Canada, and, and then later in the higher education uh, sector, different contexts, but, but to think about how inequities were manifesting in, in, in universities. Um, so when I returned to, to work in higher education and then also to pursue my graduate studies, I couldn't unknow what I learned, you know, you can't you can't come back from from uh, um, I guess uh, having uh, some consciousness around issues of of power and inequity. So it was organic for me to bring an EDI lens to all of the work that that I had done in my career. It was also always natural for me to bring an EDI lens, and and so when this position came up a couple of years ago. Uh, it made perfect sense for me to pivot into a role, a role that was specifically and primarily about advancing equity, diversity, inclusion in, in, in higher education. 
it's really amazing to see how your lived experiences has has helped you to recognize your sense of agency and has empowered you to speak up and work towards advancing equity and inclusion in higher education. So could you speak a little bit about what specific barriers um, that you see racialized individuals facing in, in higher education? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I'll start by saying, I mean, we use the terminology racialized, and sometimes you'll hear the, the terminology BIPOC or Black, Indigenous, or persons of color. Mm-hmm. And so we need to really recognize that that's a diverse group even within it, itself, right? So, so persons of color, racialized persons, are very diverse, which means the barriers that we experience are 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 also quite quite diverse. Um, and um, some of the the barriers that I'll talk about, you know, they all relate to some aspect of of unequal opportunity um, in either education or or employment. Uh, so whether it's um, uh, lack of equal opportunity to access or get into educational institutions or to be hired into a particular field of employment, um, unequal opportunity to be included, meaningfully included or meaningfully engaged in that education and employment, uh, uh, barriers to career and academic progression. Uh, barriers to being recognized or rewarded for for your work uh, and barriers to leadership development opportunities and these are all things that that I've seen um, impact uh, racialized uh, students faculty uh, and and staff um, and what I can say is that these barriers um, are oftentimes a consequence of what I call personally mediated biases. So biases that come from individuals and, and they're based oftentimes on, on stereotypes, uh, stereotype beliefs about different uh, groups of people. Uh, oftentimes it's, a, it's an unconscious belief um, or thought, but sometimes it's, it's conscious too. And, and what it does is that um, these, these biases influence the ways that racialized uh, uh, folks are, are evaluated for their competency, their capability, and even their character, right? We tend to be overly scrutinized. Um, our experiences or expertise is, is missed or it counts for less. And our non-traditional paths sometimes are not seen as, as assets. So there's a lot of literature that supports how these kind of implicit and unconscious biases um, create barriers uh, for uh, racialized individuals. There's also a correlation between BIPOC community members and financial barriers and first generation challenges, uh, accent discrimination as an example. Um, and of course there are things and we do see them in, 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 uh, on campuses and in workplaces, unfortunately. It's why we have human rights code, for example, and why we have equity and inclusion offices, we, we do see um, not only micro uh, aggressions, which, which are those, you know, unconscious day-to-day indignities that are often, you know, um, not intended, uh, but have cumulative sort of negative um, psychic impacts. We also see issues of harassment and discrimination and sometimes more egregious acts of hate and violence still in our environment, which may be surprising to, to hear. Um, and, and then all of these uh, 
biases and behaviors that come from individuals, they seep into and they inform the policies and structures that end up governing organizational operations and practices. And, and that's how the in inequities become systemic and, and cultural. So these, these barriers are individual, systemic, and cultural that are, that are influencing and, and impacting racialized uh, individuals. So Dr. Al-Shiba, you've talked a little bit about what barriers racialized individuals face um, you know, at, a, at an individual level. What kind of systematic barriers do you see as affecting uh, staff in the workplace? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all of those things I talked about, I'd say they apply in the workplace and, and to staff. It's just a different, a different context. And when we talk about the systematic barriers, I can talk specifically about, for example, hiring policies and practices. We're doing a lot of work at McMaster University, and I'm really proud that we've We've just launched um, and, and received Senate approval for um, a, a renewed faculty recruitment and selection policy that uh, really specifically integrates best practices for thinking about equity and inclusive excellence through all aspects of, of, of the search process. So how are we thinking about equity, diversity, inclusion in our outreach and recruitment of applicants? How are we thinking about it in terms of how we're evaluating um, uh, candidates? Where is the where is the the bias coming into play, and how do we mitigate or or reduce that 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 bias and those barriers? Um, and and then um, through the entire process, we're thinking about these EDI best practices. But we have to be really intentional about um, examining our policies changing our policies and then making sure that we're embedding in those policies um, uh, uh, robust accountability measures, right? There are a lot of folks that talk about, well, sometimes policies are created, um, but the way they're interpreted or the way they're practiced it doesn't actually allow them to do the things that they were, they were written to do. So um, I think we have a good uh, example of a, of a, uh, recruitment policy at McMaster. In fact, there are other organizations that have been asking us to have a look at that. So you've talked a little bit about what individual barriers exist as well as what systematic barriers exist. Could you talk a little bit about what you think or how you think the system can be improved uh, to mitigate uh, these uh, barriers around equity and inclusion? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when I came on board um, at McMaster, one of the first things I wanted to do was to create a strategic plan. And we do have one now. It was launched in 2019. And with that strategic action, uh, strategic plan, there's, a, there's, a, there's an action plan as well. Um, and I mentioned that because having a strategy is, is actually um, essential to uh, addressing uh, and, and overcoming uh, the barriers. We need to identify what the barriers are and then tackle them systematically and intentionally. And, and the way to do that is through strategic sort of planning, right? You have to dedicate um, your, your time and, and thinking to understanding, you know, what are the goals that you're um, attempting to achieve? How are you gonna get there and how are you gonna measure success? Um, one, of the, one of the key pillars of our strategy 
talks about our institution's commitment and its capacity. And I, and I talk a lot in there about th three essential things to, to be successful, to overcome um, the barriers and to make, to make some changes. The first one is leadership, right? We have to have inclusive leadership. Not only do uh, senior level uh, administrators, everyone who has a leadership title, do they need to become more um, fluent, uh, or, or literate in, in, in EDI, um, they need to demonstrate, um, you know, model uh, and endorse and champion um, this, this work. And then, and then everybody in the organization has a leadership, small L, leadership role to play. We all have influence in our circles of influence. Uh, so that's important. Not only do we have inclusive leadership from the top, but a distributed leadership where you've got your entire community bought into this and doing what they can uh, personally in their own circles of influence to, to, to move things, to move things forward. Um, another key um, aspect for success to overcoming these barriers is um, uh, we have to have more representation of racialized individuals in roles, uh, in, in leadership roles, in, in uh, faculty roles, uh, when we're talking about the, the academy, um, in important decision-making roles in, in any organization uh, and in healthcare. Um, uh, and we need to consult with racialized uh, community members to understand what are those barriers and, and um, are we achieving the goals that we're wanting wanting to achieve? It's really great to see that there are ways to intentionally and, and systematically identify these barriers and tackle them. And um, it's really awesome to see that McMaster is, is showing commitment to advancing uh, equity and inclusion within, uh, within the institution and that your work is, is, doing, uh, is contributing a lot to doing that. Now, the last little bit of our podcast, we wanted to ask you uh, what you think uh, prospective students in, in healthcare can do to contribute to improving um, issues around equity and inclusion. So, so what I'll talk about applies to, to anyone, but knowing that there are going to be different students that will be marginalized on, on different aspects of, of diversity. Um, so I think in, 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 in any case, where... where a student experiences um, in in uh, the university setting, or when they become a new employee in a new workplace setting, including a healthcare setting, I think it's really important to to think about how you can advocate for yourself and others in a really tactful uh, way. Right. So this is back to the agency, the personal agency. How can you maintain your voice? Um, and if that's a challenge in the workplace, if figuring out who to go to to talk to when there are issues um, uh, of inequity or exclusion that are experienced or that are witnessed because you don't want to be a passive bystander either. Right. So there's a lot of work that we try to do. Some of the problem is that things happen and people feel a little bit nervous for different reasons about saying anything. Um, and there are different ways to, to be an active bystander, which I think is really important. And there's sort of some skill building that can happen there. I would say, you know, join groups that discuss these issues, um, seek out um, 
you know, if, if you yourself are marginalized and, and want to make sure that you're going to have equal uh, opportunity for leadership or further study uh, opportunities, seek out informal and, and formal mentors and sponsors. Um, expand your social and professional networks. Uh, there's something called contact theory that says that, you know, the, the more we put ourselves in and engage ourselves um, with new and different people and perspectives, the more sort of open-minded uh, 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 and more skilled we're going to be in perspective-taking. Um, and uh, the better equipped we are uh, going to be to recognize those areas of unconscious bias or invisible privileges that, that don't help us advance equity and inclusion. And particularly with with healthcare settings, what's what's what will be really important is how can you um, seek out information that'll help you understand the social determinants of health and health inequities in different populations. What are the different, um, you know, the 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 cultural differences and worldviews about healthcare and and medicine? Because sometimes in in a healthcare environment, you might be interpreting some behavior of a client or, or patient or, or uh, think it means one thing when actually it really is about um, a, 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 a different kind of cultural or community relationship with, with how one is viewing healthcare and medicine. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of um, uh, tools and resources out there that are being generated now to help equip individuals who are moving into the healthcare field to, to become more, as you say, culturally or interculturally competent. Are there any resources specifically that you would, um, that you would recommend students to explore? Yeah, I haven't picked out particular um, resources, but I, I will say a few things that this isn't just about building knowledge, but, but that's, that's a big part of it. And I'll talk a little bit about, you know, how you can, you know, develop that knowledge, but it's also about developing one's own attitudes towards EDI, um, as well as a skill set. So the extent to which um, as, as students and employees, you can be self-reflective about um, your own power and privilege and relationship with, with issues of equity and inclusion will be huge. I mean, it's, it's amazing that there are a lot of people that actually don't think about their own um, social identities and positionalities, and, I, and, I, and we don't talk about it often. So, uh, it's, you know, individuals have to be really active in, in, in uh, picking up resources or finding ways that will um, help them engage in that self-reflection. Things like humility, empathy, and curiosity are huge in, in doing this work. Even if you don't have a lot of culture-specific or culture-general um, information as you're developing that, because there's, there's, there's a lot to learn, if you can understand what it means to have humility and empathy and curiosity, your interactions with, with the diversity of, of, of clients, patients, peers, supervisors is going to be vastly improved with respect to equity, diversity, and inclusion, because for the most part, um, uh, effective communications across differences are really about um, um, uh, compassionate and, and, and kind relationships um, first, um, as well as, as, as uncovering and, and examining structural um, barriers. Um, emotional intelligence is gonna be really great because when, you come into consciousness about all the ways that that you know 
there's still a lot of learning to be done around cultural differences when when we get challenged about uh, microaggressing uh, peers or, or uh, clients we have to have that level of acceptance of the feelings that we're having about being being challenged or coming into that consciousness sometimes that triggers feelings of, of anger or upset or being overwhelmed or guilt um, none of which is healthy if it if it if it lingers and it really doesn't help us move the social justice cause forward so if we have a level of emotional intelligence which means recognizing our own feelings being able to examine them and then put them in the right place so that 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 we can, you know, um, make sure that that we're, you know, addressing the the issues that are ahead of us, and then returning back to being having humility, empathy, compassion, curiosity to to make the change that that we need to make in ourselves and, and the systems uh, around us. Um, I already talked about agency and bystander intervention, but to to build that that knowledge, there's so much available to us, especially now in the uh, internet age. Uh, a lot that's at our fingertips. And, and it really is about just searching some things out. There are a lot of uh, workshops at, at, um, within universities, the equity inclusion offices. In workplaces, their HR um, departments typically put on professional development um, courses that have to do with building uh, um, uh, fluency and EDI. Or you can seek them out. There's consultancies um, that, that provide these um, courses day long, two day long uh, retreats sometimes uh, to do this, this work. I, I really encourage uh, folks to seek those out. There are obviously lots of books, lots of documentaries, um, and, and lots of uh, events that are happening uh, all around us. So the trick is to, to really um, consider what it is that you, 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 you don't know by way of uh, uh, something that is uh, unfamiliar to you or maybe a lived experience that you don't have and then um, go out and, and seek a way to engage with that. I think oftentimes people don't, don't do that because it's, it's, when it's unfamiliar, it's a little bit frightening and uh, it, it may be new and you may not know a lot of uh, folks. So it requires a, a level of um, risk-taking and confidence and courage, uh, but uh, it, it is uh, well worth it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Alsheba, for coming on our podcast today. Uh, it was very informative to hear you speak about the uh, the inequities that uh, racialized individuals face, um, as well as how we as students can recognize our own sense of agency and personal power to, uh, to contribute to advancing equity and inclusion. Um, so thank you so much, and we hope that you also enjoyed being on here today. Thank you again for inviting me, and I do hope your listeners also found a little nugget in something that I've said.